that worship is a time that we can prepare ourselves for what God's going to do. Worship is a time that we can get our hearts ready, get our spirits ready for what God is going to do in the Word. You know, and sometimes, you know, we can come to church and we can go through the motions. We're like, yeah, we know this is the third song and the Word's going to come on, but I can't wait for the coffee. You know, I believe this morning that God's got something for you in this moment and something for you in the Word to come. So come on, why don't we lift our, our shout of praise this morning and all these people sing amen, that He is faithful, that He is amazing, that He has got something for us in this place this morning. We're just not playing church in here, but we're going to lean in. We're going to step in to what He has for each and every one of us. Come on, let's worship Him this morning. Let's sing it out. He is faithful. Come on, if you can this morning, lift lift our hands in this place. Let's worship Him with everything that we've got. He deserves it. He's our God. Thank you, God. Amen, amen, amen. Oh, I love worshiping God. Good work, church. <laughs> Give yourselves a clap. So good. <laughs> hey, we got a praise report here. How good are praise reports? This is usually the time for prayer requests, but there was none in the box, but we have a praise report, which is good. Just remember, if you've got any prayer, prayer requests, just make sure that you put them in the little glass container up the back. But we have a praise report that uh, Graham's sister-in-law has come through a brain aneurysm op- operation and now having three weeks of rehab. And he was telling me this morning that it was a crazy, hard, um, ridiculous surgery. They couldn't go through the brain. They had to go through some other way. And she is in the process of uh, recovery and they think that they've got it all and she's healed. So come on, let's praise God for that. Let's thank God for... Australia 
and the amazing medical professionals we have. Amen? So good. So good. Hey, but we will pray for your prayer requests as well. So if you do have any prayer requests, let's just put them to the front of our mind right now. Let's hold them out in front of us. Let's give them to God. And uh, God, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you, God, that in every season you are God. God, this morning we just lift our prayers and our petitions to you, Lord God. We thank you that you are God and that you hear our prayer. God, we pray that where there's need, Lord God, that you can, you can bring what's needed in that season, Lord God, into that space, into that situation. God, we pray that um, maybe where there's illness or sickness, Lord God, we pray there's healing in Jesus' name. We thank you that you're a God that heals and you still heal today. And God, we just pray for whatever the prayer request right now is, Lord God, we give it to you. We say your will be done. We thank you that you're a good God, that you love us and you want to give us good gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cool. Hey, why don't we give it up for the band? You guys are great this morning. Thank you so much. Hey, while you grab your seat, we're just going to take up the offering of the service team. Want to prepare or get that ready. If you guys want to prepare your offering. And um, I know it gets awkward in church these days because, like, most of the church give online. So it's like we, we give the, uh, the, the, the buckets out and they just go through. And I'm guessing the people at the other end grabbing the buckets think, far out, this church is stingy. <laughs> They don't think that at all. Um, but I just want to continue to praise God of how generous this church actually is. Like, it is crazy, the impact of what we are doing in this community. I don't know if you heard, but a few weeks ago, our church gave $4,000 in one day to the drought relief to one church up in, uh, help me out, Corinda, which is awesome, $4,000. How amazing is that we are such a generous church, and I love that out of a spirit of generosity that we can continue to be God's hand and feet here in this community, that we're not only impacting our community, which we do all the time, but we're actually impacting communities across Australia and across the world, that, you know, our offerings, they go to the Philippines to support youth pastors, they're, they're going all around the world to help missionaries and, and do lots of different things, so um, you guys, and this is you guys that are doing this. This is not me and Pastor Greg that are doing this. This is you guys that are doing this. We are the church, and uh, what we're giving into is making a difference. So I just want to keep encouraging you in that, and um, yeah, make sure that you never feel like you have to give. Just remember, offering is always about what God does in us. <laughs> He's talking to our heart. It's never a, a, a religious event that you feel like you have to partake in. The offering is always something that we want to do to be able to give back to God and be able to continue to advance His kingdom. So I'm going to pray for it, and uh, then we're going to get Greg up to bring the word. So God, we just thank you for uh, this offering. God, we thank you for this church, for how generous Bay Love Church is. We thank you for what you're doing in it, and we thank you for what you're doing through it. I just pray that in this Christmas season, Lord God, that we can continue to bless our community, Lord God. We can continue to love our community and show them the reason for this season, Lord God, and that is you. It's Jesus Christ. And I thank you um, that you're going to bless this and bless every single person that continues to give in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool, cool. We'll take that up. I've been throwing this little uh, cheeky uh, saying. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little cheeky sometimes. Um, but I'm talking to people about Christmas. And like, oh, so you're busy over the Christmas period? I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. Like, oh, okay, that's cool. 
And I just throw this line in. I said, yeah, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for Christmas. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for Christmas. I'm like, you know, Jesus was born. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's what this season's about. So, um, yeah. You can throw that in. You can say my pastor wouldn't, it probably wouldn't be funny if you say it. Anyway, um, <laughs> we, uh, we have a great uh, treat this morning. We have uh, Greg Kent that's going to bring the word this morning. Somebody give it up for him. Okay, confession time, first of all. I'm, actually, before I even get onto that, um, we, sort of, Pastor Greg and Robin aren't here. They're actually celebrating their 40th anniversary. I don't know whether you know this, but he's working today. He's actually preaching in another church. You know, he's, look, it is his choice. He was asked, though. So, I just love, you know, he leads by example. You know, he's always giving. So bear that in mind. He's actually on his anniversary and he's preaching. So, you know, think about him today. Um, my confession is this. I get, I, I don't like being here. I get real, I like being in the church. I don't like being out the front of the church. And I get nervous. <clears throat> and so I don't actually remember anything I'll say. It's like a safety valve, really, because when people say, oh, you, no, well, I did, did I say, I don't know. The last time I was up here, someone actually said, oh, remember when you said that? I, said, I didn't say that. Did I say that? So I actually went back and listened to my, myself, which is a really bad thing to do. And she was right. I did say what I said. But more importantly, what I actually realized, that I was actually pretty hard on the youth. Um, I was preaching about, I think you probably don't remember, I was preaching about the prodigal son. And I was, it was a generalization about youthfulness and how they can be a bit rash and a bit self-centered, a bit self-focused. Well, God, when I actually listened to that, I went... Well, that may be a generalization, but I am, as a church, we are so blessed with the youth that we have and the young, young adults. I don't know whether you, like, um, well, we love your enthusiasm and your passion, but you're also really committed and mature. I, like, you just hang in there. And one of the things as a, as a church we're trying to sort of, roll out is this idea that you train up people around you to take your roles and the youth do it better than anybody else in the church so you guys should be really proud of yourselves and i don't know whether you realize that like except for a few old cronies up here it's nearly all run by youth and down the back you know, you can include yourself or not kevin i never pointed fingers <laughs> um so yeah just i'm really appreciative of what you guys do in the church so it and now it's on record, so you ignore the first bit. Now it's on record. Um, can we? I'm just gonna just, can we just pray for these guys because they are so awesome, Father? We, we just thank you for the young adults and and teenagers that you have brought to this church. We thank you for their passion and and for their commitment. We we thank you that um, they just want to be part of the whole of church fabric. And, um, Father, I just pray that you continue to bless them. You continue to hold on to them. And, Lord, you just lead them through the tough stuff because there's always going to be tough stuff. But bring them through um, with all the plans and purposes in place that they may glorify you with their lives. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I feel better about that now. I really do. My things just sit with me for a while. I just, like every time I'm on the sound at the back, and I just keep looking, oh, gee, that's a terrible thing you said about the youth. Um, yeah. So we're coming up to Christmas. I did actually have one passage to share with you, and I thought I'll be able to split that up, but I'm science trained, so we're actually designed, trained to express things as succinctly as possible. So, like, I had three verses and four points, and it would have taken me two minutes. So now, so instead, I'm going to give you the journey of how I got to there, and you might not get the actual point at the end, but, well, that's all, that's what pastors do, is they just tell stories. Um, so, um, <laughs> um, I'm not really big on Christmas. Like the last 10 years, Christmas for me has meant work. And, you know, I love that it's a time when families get together. But my family would come together and then I'd have to go off to work. And I love the fact that there's food, but food actually just highlights my lack of self-control. So it's like that's like a bittersweet part of Christmas. You know, I love it, but I don't love it. Um, and as I said, holidays, they were a non-event up until now, so I'm really looking forward to this Christmas for that. But hopefully for all of us here, we can actually celebrate um, the fact that God's promise was fulfilled. That's the one thing that I have been able to celebrate over the last 11 years, being happy that God's promise has been fulfilled. And, um, you know, Matt Cathcart and Lois did an amazing job of um, pointing out that all through the Old Testament, God was pointing to the fact that he, um, that he had a prophecy about a Redeemer, the Christ, the Messiah, that was going to come and save the world, and more specifically save us. <clears throat> and I thought, we're so fortunate we can look back at that, and we're so fortunate we can see God work that out. But then I got, well, let's look at that, that promise first. The one I said it's all through the Old Testament that the one um, that I picked is Isaiah chapter 9. It says this. Uh, it's verse 2 and then 6 and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time, time on and forever. You know, it's really easy celebrating that promise now because we've seen it fulfilled. But my mind sort of went back, well, what was it like 2,052 years ago? Well, 52, 53, somewhere around there. Two weeks before Christmas. Do you know God hadn't spoken a word of prophecy for 400 years prior to that point? How difficult would it be to remain faithful to a promise for, through generations? Not just, you know, I don't know about you, but I find that I struggle with a promise that I feel God's given me. I can lose it within a week, depending on circumstances. You know, I God say, oh, you know, you're going to do this, we're going to do this. Something appears in the middle and I think, oh, I must have been just wishful thinking or, you know, when in 2007 we, um, we were living in Hobart and we really felt 
to come back to New South Wales. We had um, some of our parents were here and I think that was the initial impetus for thinking about it. And then uh, we started praying about it and God really confirmed, yes, you know, that's, it's a good move. Go back to, um, to New South Wales. And to do that, we were going to start our own business. So we wanted some sort of confirmation that that was going to be okay. And uh, Adele got quite a specific prophecy about that, actually, a promise. said, yes, it, you know, the, the business will succeed, but it's going to be like the Israelites moving into the promised land. You're not just going to walk in and it's going to be there. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be battles. You're going to have to work through each one. It's going to be a stepwise process. So he actually even forewarned us what it was going to be like. Can I tell you, we, so I came up in December and uh, Del and the kids followed a little bit later. By the Thursday bef- before Easter, so a day before Good Friday, had a letter. Well, actually, Fisheries informed me that my previous company was suing our business because they, it was quite a cynical thing, but they just were trying to shut us down before we actually really got going. And then I got a letter um, to respond by um, the Tuesday after Easter, that otherwise they'd take us to court. So that was all nonsense. We just we got through that. That was fine. But then, I, by the first year, we'd produced half a million oysters, which wasn't enough to pay the electricity bill, let alone wage. My business partner, who was supposed to come up with me, decided he'd build a house and have a child, and so I figured that wasn't going to happen. And we're working seven days a week and living off savings and a little bit that the hatchery was producing. Where was your promise, God? Where was the fulfillment of that promise? You know, I'd forgotten all about the fact that he said it was going to, there were going to be battles. I'd forgotten that, but, you know. And after three years, working pretty much seven days a week, I'd had it. I was able to had it. And then a faithful man came up to me and said, God's told me it's going to succeed. And I trusted him, but I still didn't see any great benefit to that. Like, we didn't miraculously start producing tens of millions of voices and making lots of money. But I, then it sort of put me in a position, well, if I'm going to uphold God's, God's prophecy, if I want this prophecy to be fulfilled, it's, it's beholden on me to stay. So he struggled out for a bit longer. And then gradually barriers started coming down and we started making money. But in that meantime, I was thinking, well, what is... What is success? Success is just, um, you know, maybe the company saying solvent. Maybe the fact that we still had a house and we still had food. That's success. And begin to start to switch around perhaps what God had originally told you just to fit how things were actually appearing. I'm telling you this because I think we all go through this a little bit where God gives us a word and we haven't seen it fulfilled and we actually try and make it fit what our what we're seeing in real life rather than trusting God. So let's have a look at some of these promises regarding the coming Messiah. What did the Old Testament say about who the Messiah would be? You know, the first one comes from Deuteronomy, said that the Messiah would be a prophet. And this is Moses prophesying here and he's he's saying that I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their the fellow Israelites and I'll put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him well, that sounds fair enough the Messiah is going to be a prophet but then David also prophesying says this 
the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's David prophesying about the Messiah coming. All right, so the Messiah is going to be a prophet and, and the Messiah is going to be a priest. And then Isaiah, in that, um, the verse we read at the start, he prophesies that he's going to be a king. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Well, all that sounds pretty reasonable. In fact, you know, this whole book's written about the threefold mantle of Jesus, how he's going to be a prophet and a priest and a king. But you've got to remember back in Old Testament times in Jesus' day, no one held all three of those titles. In fact, it was basically one person, one title. Um, there was probably one or two or three people that might have had two mantles like Moses and like David that were... Moses was a prophet and a priest and David was a king and a prophet. But no one had seen one man carry all, th all three titles. So it was unthinkable. And in that 400 years between the last prophecy from um, in the Old Testament and the coming of Jesus, there actually this school of thought that sort of started to come up that maybe there was more than one Messiah. Because one man can't be a prophet, a priest and a king. So maybe... God's going to send two messiahs or three messiahs. And they built whole sects, whole tracts of religion based on, on that thought. And it's, it's all about our limited brain trying to fully come to terms with an unlimited God. You know, we, just, we, we try and put God in a position where we can understand him. But he's unimaginable in some respects. You know, he's, you know it's like Pastor Greg's message a couple of weeks ago and he put those pictures up on um with the, the viewpoint when the, the close-up and then the perspective and we see the close-up but we rarely get to see the full magnificence of god and what he's able to do and i'm telling you all this because when we when we get promises when we get um prophecies it's good to let god have his way a little bit it's good to stretch out our thinking and imagine that he can do it because we've just been singing about it. He is faithful and he can do it. Um, there's a favourite verse of mine in Thessalonians and it says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in every circumstance for this is God's will, purpose for you in Christ Jesus. And God gave that to me specifically for a particular time. But then straight after that it says this, Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt but test them all hold on to what is good reject every kind of evil and i say that because this idea of getting around what god's going to do and how he's going to do it back in the early 90s there was a movement of god called the toronto blessing and the old people might remember it the young people might never have heard of it but you should look it up it was, it was an amazing time where god's spirit fell on churches and people just well they either were on the floor in rapturous laughter or... But I can tell you, I, I was at some of those meetings in Australia and lives were changed. But on the other side of it, there are evangelical churches who are saying, this is the devil. God is a God of order. He's a God of structure. He does this, he does this, he does this. And they really missed out on some of that. Now, I'm not saying that every event was all God. The devil likes to get in there and um, falsify things, but there really was a move of God and we need to actually test everything that we see. Don't reject it out of hand because we don't understand it because God is moving and he wants to move in each of us.
So how did it work out? Did we end up with three messiahs? No. We ended up with one messiah who was a prophet. And you can read John 6 for that. And he was a priest. And you can read um, Hebrews will tell you that. And, and he was a king in John. In our limited understanding of God, we fill in the blanks. We try to. Do we determine how we think particular promise will be worked out? And it goes on. What about when the second coming of Christ is going to happen? You know, there's verses in the Bible that say that there's going to be a tribulation, there's going to be a time of great sorrow and trouble coming in the world. And there's verses that suggest that the Christ is coming back at the start of that, in the middle of it, and at the end of it. And I'm, just going to, I'm here to suggest, just don't get too worked up. God's going to work it out. He's worked out every prophecy in the past. He's going to work out every one in the future. There's no contradictions with him. We just fail to understand his magnificence sometimes, I think. Okay, one more, and then I'll get on to something else. What about where the Messiah would hail from? So we can look back in hindsight with this one. What's the Bible say about that? We can have interactive. Greg's not here. Anyone, anyone got a suggestion? What's the Bible say about where the Messiah would come from? What do the nativity scenes say? No. Bethlehem? That prophecy is in Micah, if you read that. It says, um, But you, Bethlehem, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Well, that sounds like yeah, the Messiah is coming out of Bethlehem. But what about what Hosea said? When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So is the Messiah coming from Bethlehem or Egypt? Or maybe Isaiah. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those of you in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. See, we can read and we can get caught up, but God is bigger than us. His thinking is bigger. His actions are bigger. His perspective is bigger. And I really want us all to get a, a, a feeling for that because I know we're, we all get promises we all get prophecies laid on our lives and it's important to let god move and then when we let him move he will move and of course all those three things were fulfilled the messiah was born in bethlehem joseph took him to egypt to escape herod and then when um, john was put in prison he went to galilee God has a way of working things out. You know, I think we start to bend and flex what we believe God has promised to fit in with our expectations and our experience. But I think part of the problem too is actually the time between promise and fulfillment. Um, you know, I said the last promise about the Messiah was in Malachi 400 years before he actually came. That's a significant time to maintain a faith and a, a, a forward-looking process. You know, it's like God gives us a promise and we hold on to it. And then somewhere down the track, there's fulfillment. 
sometimes maybe we actually have a need and then we might get a promise maybe we don't get a promise maybe like James you do not have because you do not ask or you ask with wrong motive maybe some of us have actually got to ask so I know I fall into that one I think God's only there for the absolute maximum emergency he actually wants to be involved in all parts of our lives your need God wants to give you a promise for that need but there's still still hopefully fulfillment hopefully we'll see it um, you know there are promises that were given in the Old Testament that the people that got that promise didn't see the fulfillment but were able to encourage those around them um, still with that promise um, a couple of years actually Anne said something Anne McGuire said something really interesting the other night at dinner she said we get we get the news before the news has effects we're such an instantaneous society that as soon as something happens they report on it even before they know what's actually going on and it's, and it's partly just to fill our desire to get something really quickly we want this we want it now it's like a youth trait a little bit more than <laughs> no i'm not going back there that's not true we all want that we all want we all want fulfillment really quickly as, as quickly as we possibly can and um a couple of years ago uh, i was a great man of god uh, phil camden a pastor used to pastor a church in newcastle has motor neuron disease but he preached this message called in the meantime and it's a similar sort of message if you haven't seen it we definitely still have it on the podcast he's mainly reflecting on paul's ministry and and how much of paul's letters paul's epistles were written while he was in jail you know he, he wasn't waiting for his miracle to to start preaching the word he just lived his life and i read one of these verses in, in acts and it's, it's quite quite interesting it says um this is out of acts chapter 24 it says at the same time he was, he was hoping this is felix he was hoping that paul would offer him a bribe paul's in prison at the moment waiting to be transported to rome to so that his case could be heard um so he sent for him frequently and talked with him when two years had passed felix was succeeded by porcius festus but because felix wanted to grant a favor to the jews he left paul in prison so okay paul's in prison and then festus wasn't interested um so felix left him in in prison and there's that little sense there when two years had passed so paul is there in prison it's just like a this is a non-event it's only two years but it's two years out of someone's life where god jesus had actually prophesied or promised in paul that he was going to minister to the gentiles in, in and 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 surely he must have been getting discouraged and i'm wondering is that why paul is so big on perseverance in running the race because his whole ministry was about persevering it was about maintaining the promise that jesus had laid in his heart and regardless of his circumstances regardless of whether he could see the outcome he just started to outwork what he'd already been, what had already been put in his heart even after he got out of that prison i don't know even how long he was in there but he was on the obviously in there for <laughs> quite a while and he gets on the ship the ship gets shipwrecked on malta he's still going he's still ministering to the people on the island uh, before he even gets to rome now i think and this is preachers are, well i'm always preaching to myself about this but we need to come to terms 
with, even if we can't embrace God's time frames. You know, what's it, say, it says in Second Peter, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. And he just, he works on a different time frame, but it's more than that. It's not just about teaching us patience and trustworthiness and all that sort of thing, but he actually needs to put things in place. And sometimes we haven't got the patience for that. So if you look at the last prophecy in Malachi about the coming Messiah, it says this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And then nothing for 400 years. So suddenly God's time frame is different. Nothing for 400 years. Had God forgotten his promise? I don't think so. Was he running late? Or did other events need to play out first? You know, it's this one of those times where we just can't get God's full perspective. So if you go back further in, into the book of Daniel, there was all sorts of prophecies about what was going to happen before the Messiah, before God's kingdom came on earth, which was the Messiah. You know, there were four kingdoms. There was that prophecy about the, the giant statue with the head of gold and the chest of silver and the waist of bronze and legs of steel and clay, yeah, iron and clay. And that was the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks and the Italians. They all had, or the Romans, that, they all had to have come before um, the Christ. That wasn't going to happen overnight. That was going to take a couple of hundred years at least. And then Daniel had enough of prophecy about the, the temple being desecrated and, and, and the temple having to be restored. And uh, that also happened, but it took time as well. So that, that happened about 100 years, 70 years before Jesus returned, something like that. One of the theological, theological intellects can help me on that later on. But, um, and all that was fulfilled perfectly in fact Daniel's um, prophecies are so accurate they're amazing but the bottom line is God is never late he never rushes in fulfilling his promises but he's often last minute or 11th hour I don't know whether you've realized that um, now even Moses performs all these miracles gets out of Egypt gets to the Red Sea, you'd think God would just part that and they could go ahead, no, let's wait. Let's, let's sleep on it. Let's give Pharaoh a chance to get right up behind you before we let you cross. He is a bit 11th hour, God, I've found that. But Paul says this in Galatians, when the time had fully come, God, had sent, his, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Not early, not late, but when the set time had fully come. God has a set time for every promise, every prophecy he's given you. Um, I'm absolutely convinced of that. I'm also convinced that his timing is perfect. Many of you may know, some many of you may not. Look, our oldest child um, is severely disabled. He's Thomas, he's got Down syndrome and he's autistic. And when we came up here, he was 17, just turning 18. 
And so he spent one year in Tomaree, um, in the special unit in Tomaree. But the future looked really uncertain for Thomas. Um, Tasmania, we had all our services in place. Up here, we, we went to a specialist, a psychiatrist in, um, for Thomas, not for us. Uh, we went to a psychiatrist down in Sydney and we talked to him about our concerns about trying to get Thomas into a home. They said, go back to Tasmania. You won't get a home for Thomas here. Um, even when someone dies in one of these homes, the spots are already taken. You've got no chance. Well, a very faithful man started praying about this. Um, the start of September 2009. And in March of 2015, we had a phone call to say there's a group home for Thomas. That was a trial period. We had, there was all sorts of things that had to go on. First of September, 2015, Thomas moved in. Six years to the day, God had been faithful. And it actually takes about six years to get a house organised. So our attic were changing over all their systems. They, um, they realised that they, they were moving clients from um, the old hostel-type accommodation to group homes. They started building homes. Homes were being planned. And we found out it actually really took six years to get a house set aside for our son to move into. So God started straight away, but it just took that time frame. And I really want you to hold on to to these sorts of things because it's the same with whatever promise, whatever need you have, it's the way God works. He's putting everything in place so everything will be perfect. The passage of scripture that I really wanted to get to with a couple of minutes to go, was it's a little bit different a prophecy to a lot of others because it not only says what's going to happen, but God's actually showing the Israelites, what he wants them to position themselves like while it's happening. So it's quite useful in that respect. And for those of you that are sort of old school a little bit, it could this might seem like replacement, replacement theology, which is like when you take a promise that's for a specific group of people and you sort of turn it around and make it fit what you want to say. But I actually want to say that God really laid this on my heart that it is okay to say this. So what are you going to do with that? God said I could say it. <laughs> preach it. I will preach it. So this is, so this is the verse. I'll only, I'll only spend a couple of minutes on it. But it says, it's from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. And Jeremiah had prophesied that the Israelites were going to go into captivity, um, into Babylon for 70 years. And there are other prophets were saying, no, no, it's going to be all good. Yeah, one or two years we'll be back, back in, the, in the, the Holy Land. But Jeremiah said, no, they're false. It's going to be 70 years. But this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because it pro if it prospers, you will prosper. And um, 
If we just break that down really quickly, there's just a couple of words. What God is saying here is, giving you a promise, there's going to be a time between that promise and when I get to fulfill it, this is where I want, to, want for you to position yourself. Build. Be pro, it's a proactive process with a foundation. You know, set yourself, you know, there's that verse that when Jesus is talking to Peter, on you I'll build, on this rock I'll build my church. God's not wanting wishy-washiness. He wants you to establish, build and establish yourself. Put down roots. Next thing is about reproducing, being productive. Now, in this, in a time when you're hanging out for whatever it is God's got for you, it's not about just surviving. It's not just about hanging out. It's like Paul. It's about being productive where you're at, doing what God has called you to do where you're at while you're waiting for the next thing. It's talking about marriage, developing relationships. You know, there's lots of verses in the Bible about that, but God really wants us to be connected, not only with each other, but with people outside the church and reproduce. That's especially for my son-in-law and daughter. <laughs> That's a ch- <laughs> It's on tape now. <laughs> no, I never, I never thought I'd ever say that. I did. That just came out. That's, that's prophetic. It's about increase. Don't decrease. And it's not necessarily about numbers, but it's, it's about stepping into, not stepping away from. Increase. And seek peace. You know, in this it's about seeking peace in, in, in the city that, or, or, the, or the land that God has taken these exiles to. But it's also about seeking peace in your situation. Getting a, getting a grip on the fact that God has it in his control and he wants to bless you. You know, the bottom line is that God wants to use the process between promise and fulfillment, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of those around us. And there's a passage in Isaiah that talks about Israel being more than just saving the nation, but a light for the Gentiles as well. And it's the same for us. Whatever we're in, whatever we're going through, God wants to use it for the benefit of us and those around us. Wigglesworth said this, Smith Wigglesworth said this, great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests and great triumphs can only come out of great trials. So commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He'll make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That's Psalm 37. Thank you. So good. Keep that round of applause. What a great word. Really good word. You know what? I think we can uh, take a moment just to think about what that word means to us and just want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. That was a, uh, a great, great message, a great encouragement that everyone in this room <laughs> has been in a place <laughs> where there's been a promise, there's been something that's given to us.
And, uh, you know, in the meantime, in the waiting, in the big gap from that happening, you know, what an encouragement um, that is, Greg, to be able to encourage us this morning to say, you know what, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. You know, I know that we're just singing this song about all your promises, uh, yes and amen. Hey, why don't we stand to our feet this morning? I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to be able to respond to that. We've got a few minutes before the uh, coffee's hot. There's no point leaving now. No one wants to drink cold coffee. You know, I just want to talk to two, pe- two groups of people this morning. First group of people I want to encourage and talk to. Is that what Greg was saying this morning was so true. <laughs> and... God has a plan and a purpose for every single person that he's created. The reason why we have been created is to be in relationship with him so they can walk in the promises that he's given us. You know, but if we don't know Jesus, if we haven't invited him into our lives, if we haven't asked him to be our Lord, to say, hey, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I don't want to be the Lord of my life anymore. I can't do it that well. <laughs> I need you. I need God. I need... I need a relationship so that I can walk in this, what you have for me. You know, I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a second to make that decision to say, you know, I want to ask Jesus into my life at this Christmas time to be my Lord and Savior that I don't want to be the Lord of my life anymore. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And for the second group of people, if you've got a promise that you know that God has dropped into your spirit, dropped into your heart, and you're in the waiting, and you want some prayer for that this morning, I'd love for you to come down the front and um, just be able to get some prayer for that, maybe some encouragement in the, in the, in the promise that, that God has for you. Sometimes that we just need someone to maybe prophesy it again and speak truth and encouragement and build you up. And, you know, that's why we have church, right? We are here to encourage each other, to build each other up, to lift each other up week in and week out, to say, hey, come on, let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep going, let's keep going. The promise is going to be fulfilled. So for the first group of people that I was, I was talking to, that if you have never made this decision to ask Jesus into your life to be your Lord and say, what a better time of year to do it as we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. It's the best decision you're ever going to make in your life. And it's a decision that allows us to be able to walk in the promises that He has for us. And if, if that is you this morning, what I want you to do really bravely in a second, is just to put your hand up and say, Chris, today I want to make this decision to ask Jesus into my life. I want to make him the Lord of my life, and I don't want to be the Lord of it anymore. Just with every eye closed, just for some privacy in this room, if that is you this morning, and you want to make that decision and say, you know what, I want to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Right now, I just want you to put your hand up and say, Chris, that's me. I want to make that decision. Just put it up nice and high so I can see it. And I'll, I'll just pray for you after the service. We won't get you down the front. But if that's you this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. Just lift it up high and say, yep, that's me today. I want to make that decision. It's really good. Or maybe you've got this promise on your heart that you need some prayer for this morning. What I want you to do right now, before the song starts, I just want you to slip out of your chair. 
I want you to come down the front if you want some prayer for that prophecy, for that thing that you feel like God has for your life that hasn't been fulfilled. Right now, I just want you to come out the front. I want us to be a church that responds to this stuff. God has something for you this morning. Slip out. Come on down. We'd love to pray with you and for you and to encourage you and give you hope. Yeah, that's awesome. Come on down. And we're going to sing this song. Greg, why don't you come down the front and, and pray as well? That's great. Come on down. Anyone else here this morning? Come on down. If you want some prayer for something that you feel like God's dropped in your heart that maybe hasn't, come for free. You're in the waiting. You're in the time of waiting. I would love to be able to pray with you this morning. Let's do it. Please come down during the song if you want some prayer. That'll be great.